0: This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow
1: on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon, good afternoon to the beautiful city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable across the capital from the London close to the US Action Live on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5 p.m. in the city. Let's whip through some of the action for you. The FTSE 100 closes higher by a third of 1%. Over in Frankfurt, Germany, we close at an all-time high, up four-tenths of 1%. And speaking of record highs on the S&P 500, another one. On the Dow, another one. Yesterday, the 50th record close for the Dow. Can we make it 51 in today's session for the year in 2017? So that's the story in the equity market. In the FX market more broadly, some dollar strength for a fifth straight day. The longest daily winning streak of dollar strength going back to February of this year. It means the cable rate is just a little bit softer down to 131.81 down about a tenth of one percent. In the bond market, bonds selling off globally in the United States, across Europe and in the UK as well. Treasury yields are higher by about four basis points in the United States. 2.3 3-4% 3-4% is your yield on a US 10-year. So that gives you a cross-asset picture of the market this Wednesday. Let's get you to some top stories, shall we? And say hello to Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet
2: And a big warm welcome back, Jonathan Farrow. I thank you. The European Union is unveiling new measures to help counter lone wolf attacks. That comes after a number of killings in major cities by extremists driving vehicles into crowds of people. The steps are aimed at better protecting major gatherings like concerts and sporting events. In Spain, there's a report that the government is preparing to govern the Catalonia region from Madrid. A newspaper says the Spanish government is assuming that Catalan president, a Catalan's president does not meet a deadline to step back from his threat to declare independence. The government may make its move tomorrow. European Union countries are keeping hope alive on a trade deal with the UK. According to EU officials, they're doing prep work so that trade talks can begin as soon as the Union decides that the UK has offered enough in Brexit negotiations. Those talks remain stalled for now. That is the latest
0: from the news desk. Once again, Jonathan Farrow, welcome back. We missed you. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. It was um, what we call in the UK a stag do, and it left me very delicate and quite fragile. But did you have fun? Week. I, and are there I had, pictures? I had a fantastic time. There are no pictures. And what happened in Barcelona, Spain? will stay there, Charlie. And I, I won't share a word of it. Good for you. All right. Uh, I'm jealous. I'm I'm absolutely
2: jealous because bachelor parties, as we call them in the U.S., are always a lot of fun. I'll
0: give you some off-the-record stories, perhaps. Um, Share with our – we're in broadcasting. So now that I know you've got something, there's something to share. There's always something to share. It's just whether it's appropriate for the Bloomberg audience, Charlie. And I suspect in these circumstances, um, it's probably – not. Fair enough. Charlie Pellet. thank you very much and thank you for your hard work through the week. We begin with our top story. British Prime Minister Theresa May says that one thing is certain during the Brexit talks that the UK will leave the EU in March of 2019. Still, she told Parliament the government is ready for either a deal or no deal.
3: I can confirm that what we are doing is working for the best possible deal for the United Kingdom. the irresponsible of government not to prepare for all possible scenarios and that's exactly
4: what we're
0: doing the uk and the european union are divided on a number of issues including how much the uk should pay to leave the divorce bill as it's become known is is one of three issues that need to be addressed the second issue is the right of eu citizens after march 2019 and the third is the agreement with ireland All of those three things need to be addressed before they can advance to talk about the trade relationship post-Brexit. On Bloomberg TV this morning, I caught up with Ender Kenny, the former Prime Minister of Ireland, who said a hard Brexit would be a disaster for the situation with Ireland. Take a listen.
4: When the Prime Minister says, I want the best deal for Britain, remember there are 26, 27 other countries on the other side of the table, and they want a deal as well. But you can't have a situation where you can have the best of everything. We are currently in the European Union, in the single market, and with a customs union, and a market of 500 million people. Yeah. And decide to leave those two, and expect to be able to do deals all over the world. So until we get past these three first issues, Barnier will not recommend uh, going on to deal with them, um, with the question of trade. Now, if you were to follow through on what the Prime Minister said there, you're talking about a hard Brexit. This would be catastrophic in many cases. Obviously in the case of Ireland as closest to Britain uh, would be very detrimental indeed. But politics has got to come into play here. And when politicians are faced with deadlines and they're faced with reality of what might happen, things click into place. That's why a transition period is essential. Britain is expected to leave in March of 2019. The talks will not be concluded by then. You need a transition period. This is being talked about. It might have to be much longer than two years. And at the end of the day, Article 50 is the one that triggered Britain's request to leave, as they're entitled to do. Yeah. Article 60 is one that, if it were triggered, would cause problems in Britain politically, would allow Britain to stay for a further period while all of these many thousands of issues are sorted out.
0: A couple of other things that we need to touch on there, one of which, um, you said the transition period may well need to be longer than two years. How long do you think the transition
4: period would need to be? It's got to be as, as, as long as you can arrive at a, at a working solution. If Britain takes the view that it says, well, we're going to have a hard Brexit and we're going to leave anyway, uh, you know, no deal is, is, uh, is absolutely detrimental. This is where politics and poli- political leaders have got to look at what's, uh, what's lying up ahead. I came out here. With one of the leading irish legal firms matheson who deal with foreign direct investment into um, into ireland and i have to say that from our point of view american investment says you know we want to be part of the single market we want to have access to european union monies and we want to have access to european churn of talent and this is where britain is playing with now because if they leave haven't negotiated a trade deal in 40 years if you leave the single market behind and the customs union you are leaving Northern Ireland with its peace process intact but with the political settlement of some unknown uh, entity at the moment which would be quite damaging and very dangerous well, Mr. King-
0: That was Enda Kenny, the former Prime Minister of Ireland, saying that Brexit would be a disaster if it were to be a hard Brexit. Joining me now Simon Ballard, Global Credit Market Strategist for Bloomberg. Simon, always great to catch up with you. You listen to all of that. Thanks, John. And at the moment, it's difficult to see where these negotiations are heading. Have we made any progress whatsoever in the last couple of weeks?
3: Well I'm not sure we have John and you know I'm very sympathetic to uh, to what Mr Kenny said there and you know I think one of the main problems is that if you if you listen to the politicians back here in the UK or over here in the UK should I say they don't even seem to be sort of ag- agreed amongst themselves as to what a hard Brexit is, what a soft Brexit is, and basically what they want out of, the, out of the negotiation. So until we get to that stage, it's difficult to see how they're going to get that from Monsieur Barnier um, over in Brussels. So have we got any further? We've got a little bit further in terms of we've begun the negotiations. I think investors are probably... Starting to look a little bit through the process of Brexit, as we've shown this week in terms of uh, sterling high yield bonds, there's been a little bit of a, a better bid and a tightening bias there, but we're still, you know, largely underperforming the uh, the euro denominated uh, financial markets uh, for the time being, and that's going to persist while uh, you know we we go through
0: what is going to be,
3: you know, a volatile period, and we figure out how long that transition period is going to be, two, an, three
0: years, whatever. An incredible amount of pressure being put on Prime Minister May at a time where she doesn't have much leverage domestically. An amount of pressure from the EU, that I do wonder whether they need to ask themselves the following question: If they continue doing this, Simon, would they rather negotiate with Prime Minister May or Prime Minister Corbyn? You've got to think that they want to uh, they want to negotiate with Prime Minister
3: May because at least they know that she was, you know, a Remainer when the when the referendum was held. So she's sort of towards their camp in the first place. But uh, you know, she's she's between a rock and a hard place. She's inherited this situation that she's trying to negotiate her way out of. Um, Having made clear that she wanted to remain in the first place. So, you know, I think, you know, the, yeah. the EU would want uh, May to stay where she is for the time being.
0: Bloomberg's Simon Ballard staying where he is for the time being and staying with us because up next on the cable, the UK jobless rate, well, it was meant to surge higher, wasn't it, after Brexit? Well, it remains at a 42 year low. We'll discuss that next. For the City of London, this is The Cable. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Every one of these songs makes me want to sing some ballad, please. You don't want me to sing. <laughs> I promise you, you don't. Want me, it'll be like your stag do all over again. <laughs> you don't want that stag do at all. Uh, you don't want to know tall anything tall about tall. it. Um, Absolutely. I'm pleased you understand the rules in a way that Charlie Pellett just did not. Um, Good afternoon to our listeners, of course, across the capital in the city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable, live on DAB Digital Radio. We will not talk about the stag do in Barcelona, Spain. We will talk about the UK jobless rate holding at a 42 year low in the three months through August as Britain enjoyed near record employment. Wage growth was a little changed at just over 2%, well behind the rate of inflation, but officials are signalling they are no longer prepared to wait for a pick up before tightening policy. The Bank of England Governor Mark Carney made clear yesterday that the erosion of slack in the economy is the primary concern as policymakers prepare for their November 2nd meeting. We're all looking forward to that inflation report, Simon. I just look at the unemployment data, though, and really take a step back and just have to say, this is not the labour market people would have predicted if I told them the UK was going to leave the European Union back in June of last year.
3: No, not at all. I think you know the uh, the repercussions, the negative repercussions of that referendum of us leaving the the EU or the prospect of is is all is all currency based at the moment. That in itself has driven up the inflation rate that we saw yesterday at three percent, you know food and uh, food and fuel uh, driven. So, you know, it puts Mark Carney in a, in a difficult position, the MPC in a difficult position in terms of perhaps wanting to or seeing reason uh, to need to tighten at the, uh, the November meeting. But, uh, you know, many behind him and many around him suggesting that, uh, you know, second round effects are still fairly limited from that. Um, but yes, employment is, uh, is, is far stronger than people probably have predicted.
0: This isn't what I would expect from a developed market economy to be tightening interest rates, tightening monetary policy when the outlook for the economy isn't improving. Typically, we have a tightening cycle, Simon, when when things are getting better, not when they're set to get worse. And When you listen to Governor Carney say that the erosion of slack is the primary concern, is this ultimately a Bank of England that looks at this economy and says the potential of this economy has been eroded because of the decision to leave the European Union and because the potential of the economy has been eroded, then the erosion of slack therefore means we're, we're reaching full capacity much more quickly than they thought we would.
3: No, absolutely, and from that position, you know, some could say, or the cynics might say, that it's, uh, you know, Mr. Carney is readjusting the, uh, you know, the seats on the, uh, the the deck of the Titanic at the moment, um, but um, you know, it's. It's, it's a position that many people would not have expected us to get into. More importantly, you know, if we listened to the OECD this week talking about the, the potential strengths to the UK economy. Should we reverse the decision to, uh, to go through the Brexit process, then, you know, they're <clears throat> suggesting that, uh, you know, there is much worse to come in terms of the UK economy. But for the time being, um, you know, it's, uh, it's surprising on the upside.
0: You're a credit guy. How's UK credit performing, sterling denominated assets, etc. Simon, in the face of what is economic potential, it's kind of dwindling, uh, yeah. and the prospect rising of a, of a rate hike? Well, you know, if you look at corporate bonds, which is uh, obviously
3: my, my bread and butter or has been previously, um, you know, there's been a, a distinct underperformance versus the rest of the euro bond cor- corporate, uh, corporate bond market uh, since beginning of 2016. There's been a little bit of buying coming into higher yielders. perhaps a little bit of confidence comes in that, you know, from a, from a relative value perspective, you know, things look uh, a little bit more appealing. I won't say attractive, but a little bit more appealing. Um, but we're still lagging very much the, you know, the euro denominated market um, and the U.S. market um, in terms of the, uh, the risk. And, and even if sort of the, the fundamental levels of growth and employment are, are, are strong – I think you know the uncertainty surrounding Brexit is going to continue to to keep uh, investors on the sidelines to a certain extent because you know whatever happens investors don't like uncertainty.
0: If you were a betting man Simon um let's take away the uncertainty what's the odds that we actually get a hike at the beginning of November first one in over a decade? <sighs> I'd be
3: just into double digits I think I think it's I think it's very low. Really? Yeah, I think it's very low.
0: Interesting. Simon Ballard. No, I- 25% max. There we go. Global credit market strategist for Bloomberg. That is uh, not consensus, Simon. It yeah. is not, but I don't like consensus. No, neither do I, so it's great to have you on the programme. Sticking with us. <laughs> next up, Xi's grand vision for China, prioritising party power over reform. More mentions of the environment in this three-and-a-half-hour speech than the economy. We'll discuss that next. Before we get there, check on traffic, weather and all the news you need to wrap up your day. This is Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is the cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon, good afternoon to the city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. you are listening to the cable as always weekdays, 5 to 6 pm. across the capital live on DAB digital radio in China. President Xi Jinping has kicked off a gathering of the Communist Party that's expected to cement his influence for the next decade. She spoke for more than three hours and laid out a three-decade roadmap, roadmap to turn China into a leading global power by 2050. She called for more reforms at state-owned enterprises and promised to open the door to foreign businesses. This morning on Bloomberg Television, I caught up with Kevin Rudd, the former Prime Minister of Australia, and we had a chat about Xi Jinping's speech.
5: The bulk of the emphasis as I read it of Xi Jinping's speech is about the preeminent, continuing, comprehensive role of the Chinese Communist Party, not just in the pure politics of the country and the personnel who run it, but also across the economy and society. And there are key phrases in the statement, in the speech, I should say, which are relatively new on that front. Uh, In particular, one which says that you will see uh, the role of a party quote, I think, permeate every aspect of society in China, unquote. So that is the political direction. Now, the basis for your question, of course, uh, is based on normal development theory, which has been taught in Western universities for decades, that once you reach a certain level of per capita income, uh, usually somewhere between in the 12 dollars to $14,000 uh, per capita mark, that automatically what you see is beginning of a series of drivers to bring about one level or other of democratic political reform. The Chinese Communist Party has resolved that that will not happen in their country. And therefore, what I find significant is that the Communist Party is, under this speech and under Xi Jinping's leadership more generally, is seeking to sustain as tight as control as possible without, at the same time, throttling growth in Chinese private firms, which at present are providing the bulk of employment growth within China, which is, of course, is key to long-term economic and social stability as well.
0: Simon Ballard, still with me. Simon, there was a narrative building in the market that the president of China, Xi Jinping, was going to take the opportunity ahead of the Communist Party conference, the gathering there in Beijing, to cement his political power within the party, and then beyond that, really stamp down some authority and drive through these reforms aggressively, and really push through deleveraging as well. I've got to say, the tone around this speech today is perhaps a little bit of disappointment around the fact that we didn't really hear much of that. We didn't
3: really hear much of that. And, uh, you know, given that he was speaking for three hours, one might have expected, uh, again, to a, a little bit more uh, more content in, in in that direction, John. But, you know, I think, you know, setting out what he, you know, his vision for being sort of a global power by 2050, then perhaps we won't be worrying about trying to trade the market by then. But, you know, nevertheless, if you, you look at the way sovereign CDS has performed, you know, the market's telling you, you know, China is already top dog in terms of, you know, its outperformance over the last year or so versus Germany, Japan, China. Uh, Germany,
0: Japan yeah. um, and the United States, um, you know, fr- from that perspective, it's very solid. 59th out of 62 countries evaluated by the OECD in terms of openness for foreign direct investment, yet they talk about being an increasingly open economy. Simon, that's kind of misleading. It, it, it is kind of misleading, given that, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a very
3: big cog within sort of the global economy, should we say. Um, but, you know, we've, we we can hope that, you know, over the course of time, it becomes a more open economy. But, uh, you know, it is already intrinsically linked to Western civilization through industrial production, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so let's not say that it's a completely closed economy and put it yeah. into the context
0: of, of where it deserves to be. She mentioned the environment 89 times. It's up from 74 in his predecessor, Hu Tao's speech back in 2012. The economy got 70 mentions, down from 104. Is there any read-across from that, Simon, or am I reading too much into it? The read across is that perhaps the stimulus and the
3: support from the uh, from the central government is going to continue, and the uh, you know the target of you know that seven percent, eight percent GDP growth. And um, I noticed that uh, who was it? The uh, the the, uh, the the finance minister sort of suggested this week also that uh, that uh, that China GDP could actually outperform um, expectations over the course of the coming year. So yeah. you, know, they, you know they they continue to set themselves that floor of seven percent GDP growth. Um, And by talking about the economy, by talking about growth, I mean, they're basically just trying to support their own story. There was a
0: really interesting line in this speech, and it went as follows. The housing market is for living in, it is not for speculating in. Homes are for living in, they are not to speculate in. There's a strong message there, and reportedly it was mentioned several times in the speech, not just once. What do we take away from that when we spent quite a lot of time talking about what many people have referred to as the mother of all real estate bubbles in the world's second largest economy? and again i guess it comes down to you know central banks trying to
3: talk the market into the in in the direction that they need it to go uh, deflate the uh, the asset price bubble or concerns about an asset price bubble in housing in, in china without actually uh, you know triggering a, a you know a popping of that bubble but if you look at the amount of stimulus that's been put into place within the economy at all levels you know over many many years now um, you know you, you you have to believe that the uh, the the real estate price action is going to remain positive
0: Central Bank needs to do what it can to try and sort of soften, the, uh, soften the, the blow should the correction come at some stage. Simon, for markets, for global markets, outside of China, this was always a read on on global growth. Is that still the story? Do we use China as a proxy for most of the investments we make? Is it increasingly is it increasing in importance or, or diminishing in importance? I think it's probably, it's unfair to say it's necessarily diminishing in
3: importance, but it, it probably is, uh, you know, versus 5, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, when everything was based around China. Now, there's more of a sort of domestic um, investor base, uh, I don't know, a domestic industrial uh, base or, or, or more diversified sources of, of industrial production. Um, again, perhaps for across Asia, or whatever, but, uh, you know, China is still, you know, critically important, but less so than, uh, than, than it was 15 years ago. But, uh, you know, something you can't afford to
0: take your eyes off and not listen to. Some- I'm a Global Credit Market Strategist for Bloomberg. Thank you very much, sir, for sticking with us. Really, really appreciate your time. Always good to catch up with you, mate. I'll catch up with you next week for sure. Cheers, John. That does it with Simon then. Europe and the world. We turn now to the United States. Still ahead on the cable, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin sees the stock market wiping out gains if Trump's tax plan fails. Once again, it's someone from this administration tying the success of their policies to the performance of the stock market. That's next. This is Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow. On Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Ferro. You are listening to the Cable across the capital live on DAB digital radio. It's just gone 5:30 PM. Let's whip through those markets for you at the close. The FTSE 100 higher by about a third of one percent. Across Europe, a decent session as well, with the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, finishing high by four tenths of one percent at an all-time high at the close. Speaking of record highs at the close, we've had 50 of them so far this year on the Dow. Can we make it 51? The Dow Jones is in record high territory once again, up six tenths of one percent. As is the S and P 500, up a tenth of one percent. In the FX market, the dollar index holding on to a fifth straight day of gains. We close here for a fifth straight day of gains. It will be the longest winning streak since February of this year, February 14th to be precise. It means sterling's on the back foot earlier in the session by as much as four tenths of one percent. But as the days progressed, we have erased some of that dollar strength. The cable rate now positive by. Just 0.03% at 131.94. Bond markets selling off globally across Europe, in the UK as well, and on Treasuries. United States 10 year yields up by three or four basis points to 233 or 234 on the 10-year. So that gives you a, a decent picture of the cross-asset story in markets today. Let's get you up to speed on the top stories and say hello again to Charlie Paddy.
2: And a big welcome back, Jonathan Farrow. Here's what's going on. The European Union is unveiling new measures to help counter lone wolf attacks. That comes after a number of killings in major cities by extremists driving vehicles into crowds of people. The steps are aimed at better protecting major gatherings like concerts and sporting events. In Spain, there's a report that the government is preparing to govern the Catalonia region from Madrid. A newspaper says the Spanish government is assuming that Catalan uh, that the Catalan president does not meet a deadline to step back from his threat to declare independence. The government may make its move tomorrow. And European Union countries are keeping hope alive on a trade deal with the UK, according to EU officials. They're doing prep work so that trade talks can begin as soon as the union decides. The UK has offered enough in Brexit negotiations. Those negotiations do remain stalled for now. That
0: is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie, thank you. We have this very strange situation in the United States whereby this administration is pinning its success to the success of the stock market. Once again, another member of this administration speaking to exactly that theme, this time the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin saying today on the Politico Money podcast that the stock market will probably see its gains wiped out if lawmakers fail to deliver planned tax cuts that will benefit corporate America. Take a listen.
5: There is no question that the rally in the stock market has based into it reasonably high expectations of us getting tax cuts and tax reform done. Uh, It also has, based into it, uh, optimism on regulatory relief, which they've begun to see and there's expectations. So I think to the extent we get the tax deal done, the stock market will go up higher. But there's no question in my mind, if we don't get it done, you're going to see a reversal of a significant amount of these gains.
0: Mnuchin also gave his absolute guarantee that the tax bill will be ready for the presidential signature by early December to be completed by the end of this year. Around the table with me now, Vince Signorella, global macro strategist for Bloomberg. David Wilson, markets live blogger and stocks editor for Bloomberg. We're going to catch up with Dave in a minute and talk about whether we are seeing what Steve Mnuchin is seeing. But what I want to discuss with you, Vince, is just this as a strategy Is this an administration that is, one, tying its success or at least using the stock market as a metric for its success? Or two, is it using the market to put pressure on other officials to get this done? Or is it both?
6: A a little of both, but I'd vote more uh, door number two on that one. I think um, with... That statement from Mnuchin today, basically dropping it in the hands of the Democrats by saying, if you don't pass tax reform, if you don't join us on this, and if the stock market tanks, we can directly blame it on you. And guess what? 2018 midterm elections just around the corner.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember President Obama doing this in the debt ceiling debate where he said, the markets better be concerned. Yeah. He was basically trying to cause, in many people's minds, arguably a market sell-off yeah. to put and pressure on lawmakers. It didn't happen then. And I just wonder whether it happens now.
6: I think, I mean, you know, look, the, there's no doubt there have been some gains in the stock market with the potential for tax reform. It obviously helps the economy. It helps corporate earnings, especially with a corporate tax cut that's involved in that. So clearly there is some ramifications to. How having the tax reform bill go through or not on, on the equity market. But Dave will speak to this much better than I, that the equity market is riding a different horse than uh, at least I see generally speaking. Yeah. And and you know, as long as corporate earnings stay strong or relatively strong, there's the the tax reform may cause the market to stumble, but certainly not collapse.
0: Well Dave Wilson, it's your world, do you agree, with the Treasury Secretary of the United States?
7: Not really, because there's a whole lot more going on. and and then
0: you just came out emphatically with it.
7: (laughs) Well, I mean, Vince kind of alludes to what's going on with earnings. And to some extent, you have to throw in what's happening with the global economy on a larger scale, which is that you're seeing growth around the world and not just here in the United States. And that's different than what we've had in the past several years, uh, so you put that together with the continuing low bond yields that we've seen in the last few years, which certainly uh, makes stocks more valuable to investors that they might be otherwise. You know, you put that all together. I mean, you can say that what people expect out of the Trump administration and Congress is part of the mix, no question. Yeah. The the issue though is whether Mnuchin isn't too focused on what's in front of him as opposed to what's around him,
0: Vince. Dave with Wilson has, has sort of led me towards something I think is really important the stock market is not a a gauge of the performance of this administration if anything if this administration wants to be judged on on its performance in generating and revigorating inflation and growth expectations, then it's the bond market that we should be judging. And and bond yields are still low. So maybe they should be targeting a higher 10-year yield to really really explain their successes? Well,
6: you know, the the 10-year yield, and it's interesting, I think it was Kaplan made the comments this morning, that perhaps the low level of the 10-year yield or government bond yields is the market's expectation of what the future growth of the economy will be. I think one of the real gauges, you might look at is actually the dollar and how it's weakened this year yep. post the election. And that maybe is is what the world, not just in the markets in the United States, what the international community is saying about what they think the success of the administration has been or their confidence in the U.S. versus other economies.
0: Dave, how many uh, investors, traders, anyone in this equity market do you speak to that thinks this tax reform, tax cut deal gets signed, sealed, delivered – by the end of this year.
7: Well, very few. I mean, there's a whole lot of skepticism about the process, about how it unfolds. I mean, given the issues that uh, President Trump has with Congress, it's understandable you know, that uh, you'd have the concern about how things unfold. Is it going to be uh, another situation like you've had with the uh, attempts to overhaul the Affordable Care Act, which uh, stumbled in multiple votes in Congress? You know, you, sure, there are targets. The real question, is whether they can be hit at this point.
0: David Wilson, Marcus Life Blogger and Stocks Editor here at Bloomberg alongside Vince Signorella, Global Macro Strategist, here in-house in New York City for Bloomberg. For our audience across the city from Bloomberg's Global Headquarters, the coverage continues right here on the cable. On Bloomberg Radio, still ahead, NAFTA hits a roadblock as ministers buy more time. Negotiations, the talks, they will drift and be extended into 2018. Is that good news if you are long the Mexican peso? Maybe. We'll discuss that next. This is The Cable.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Ferro on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Ferro. You are listening to The Cable across the capital live on DAB Digital Radio. NAFTA talks are slowing. As key obstacles emerge, with Canada and Mexico rejecting what they see as hardline proposals from the United States, NAFTA negotiators have extended the deadline for revising the agreement from December through to the end of March 2018. The ministers will next meet in Mexico on November 17th through to November 21st. Vince, the peso rallied off the back of this can being kicked into 2018. Why?
6: Well, b- basically the pushing out the finality of this and yesterday there were talks that potentially the deal was getting ripped up, the peso weakened, very, very quickly, something like 15 big figures in a very short period of time. The news then came out afterwards and said, well, they're pushing back on the bold initiatives by the US, but at the same time, we're going to continue negotiations. And then, of course, news that we're moving into 2018, which takes the pressure off the peso and the Canadian dollar near term. And, you know, people like to talk about NAFTA and what it's done to the peso. My handy little calculator here. And since the dollar highs this year, the peso, or the dollar has fallen over 14%. As as of today, it's it's actually been worse than that in a couple of months ago. But so the peso is appreciated well around the 14 percent level. And that doesn't strike me as people are afraid of NAFTA.
0: No. Uh, and David Wilson, at this point, I always like to do this. If I went back 12 months, not 12 months, but went back to just after the presidential election, when everyone was worried about emerging markets. And if I said to you, this is how bad it will be. Nothing will happen with China. No policies will change. And there may be a discussion about renegotiating NAFTA that might get kicked out into 2018. There'll be a lot of strong rhetoric, but very little action. Would you be happy with that if you were long emerging markets?
7: Well, sounds like uh, the kind of scenario that I would live with, that's for sure. Uh, You wouldn't believe me, though, would you? you? You would have said it was going to be horrific. It was going to be terrible.
0: China would be called a currency manipulator. They'd tear up trade agreements. Mexico would plunge into a black hole. It's not happened.
7: No, it hasn't. And it's interesting. If you look at the benchmark stock indexes across the NAFTA countries, you see that uh, the Mexican benchmark has made back its initial losses in the wake of the presidential election. You see that in Canada, uh, their uh, benchmark has popped up in the past few weeks. It's higher again today. Now, neither has kept pace with the U.S., which has really been on a tear post-election That said, I mean, they're certainly holding their own. And if you're looking at the stock markets, at least it's a sign that people aren't all that concerned about how things unfold from here when it comes to NAFTA.
0: More broadly, Vince, this raises quite a significant question. And it's about the ability of this administration to get things done. The president of the United States on things like trade wanted to rip up trade agreements. He's finding it very difficult to actually do that in practicality. The only thing he has been able to do is step away from an agreement in the uh, Pacific region that was never actually signed.
6: Yeah, it wasn't signed and it wasn't well liked and it wasn't very popular so, in either of the houses of Congress. So that one was pretty easy to walk so, away so, from.
0: So that one was done. But but as, uh, as we look at things that are already signed and done, he's struggling to change it. That's the economics. On the foreign policy, he wanted to tear up the Iran deal. He's found that the people around him reportedly don't want it, and it's a lot harder to actually do in practice because other countries are involved. Right. So I sit here today, Vince, and just have one basic question. Where can this administration actually get things done that it wanted to do? Uh,
6: you know, that you would think the tax reform bill would be the one. You know, you think that would be easy. Giving money away is usually a pretty popular thing and people line up for it. The difficulty with that is for the administration can't seem to get away from including what are perceived as the rich in this country, from giving them a tax break as well. That will not play well with Democrats, will not get the support, will probably not get that done either. So when you look at what the agenda is about the only thing you think they could probably get done before year end is raising the debt ceiling.
0: Where are the gifts for his base?
6: I, th- I think he would like to give them the, the base and give them the middle class uh, income yeah. tax cuts, but he's not going to get that if they, can, they include the top 1%.
0: Vince Cinderella alongside David Wilson. Sticking with me on Bloomberg Radio, up next on The Cable, we'll preview the week ahead as we count you down to the back half of this week. Before we get there, a check on traffic, weather, and all the news you need to wrap up this Wednesday. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. Vince, why are we talking about rate hikes at the Bank of England? Shh. Got to listen to the music, though. Well, let's let's apply it to Governor Carney.
6: Should he, I, should he stay? I, yeah, should he stay or should he go? Uh, I I think globally we shouldn't be talking about rate hikes, and that's both the Bank of England, the the Fed, and even the QE situation for the the ECB. There is no inflation anywhere, not in any of the major G10 countries. There's no reason to be raising interest rates. This could be a nice slow. Crawl, the the fear that this is temporary, or the temporary factors that Fed governors and and Bank of England uh, governors put on inflation. Yeah, these temporary factors have been in place for about five, six, seven years now. That sounds a little bit more permanent than temporary. <laughs>
0: Is this the most pessimistic rate hike from a central bank ever? And I asked that question for a developed market central bank. I should be more specific because at the end of the day, they're saying the uh, the capacity of this economy has diminished since voting to leave the European Union. The economic potential of the UK is not what it once
6: was, was. So
0: why are they hiking interest
6: rates? I, you got me. I'm on the other side of this one. I mean, when you're facing what could be a potential economic crippling decision that they've made and and whether or not how and how it affects their economy is still an unknown yeah what is why not wait
0: i do wonder why why the case to hike now is stronger than it was in 2014 2015 and i'm not sure many people would argue that it is some highlights for the day ahead uh, across europe on thursday in spain you'll find out if the catalan president is to be in ...violation of the constitution after claiming the right to Catalan independence. He has until 10am Madrid time... That's, of course, nine in London to rectify his position or face being disqualified from office. We'll also get a uh, EU leaders meeting, of course, to discuss topics including illegal immigration, how to tax digital companies, defence and Turkey. That starts at 15.30, 3.30pm in Brussels. And then on Friday, EU leaders meet to discuss progress in Brexit negotiations. If that's all they're meeting for, it won't take long. And to decide whether to progress talks to the future trade relationship, that might take a little bit longer. That starts at 9 a.m. in Brussels. Brexit, David Wilson, how much time do you spend thinking about Brexit and how much time would you like to spend thinking about Brexit?
7: Not a whole lot, to be honest. One thing you can take a look at and see pretty easily, though, is that the UK stock market has not kept pace with uh, its peers on the European continent. And you look at the FTSE being up 5.6% for the year and uh, Eurostox 50 with a 10% gain and uh, plenty of double-digit numbers for benchmarks in places like Germany and France and Italy, uh, it's clear that Brexit is leaving its mark on the, uh, the UK market. You mentioned Italy. Vince, Bridgewater,
0: of course, this is Ray Dalio's firm. It's added to its billion dollars short against the the Italian economy. The world's largest hedge fund just disclosed a 300 million bet against Eni, which, of course, is an oil and gas company, an energy firm in Italy, the largest of them over in Italy. And we've already reported this week that Ray Dalio had wagered more than 1.1 billion against shares of six Italian financial institutions and two other companies. So the wages got big. We don't know the rationale for the wager. We don't have much colour on that. And I think there might be some people out there that say, if you're aggressively long European assets, then having some optionality on the short side around Italy is a great way to hedge that out. But anything north of $1 in my book is real money. And I just wonder what this is about, Vince.
6: Well, it could have started with the potential with the Italian elections. The um, you know the Five Star Party had been gaining strength. You you think that if if there's upheaval in the Italian electorate, you you have issues with um, w- with confidence in the economy, but that that's gone away. I mean, the the legislation recently passed in in Italy has has basically put the two major parties back in the fore. You haven't seen the Italian stock market close below the 50-day since mm, early July or such. So, I I don't know where it's coming from. And to me, that market um, looks as resilient as as any other equity market out there. Maybe there was a, you know, it's been a minor sell-off since the beginning of the month. Again, it's probably that election-related, but it's been consolidating, you know, and trading
0: well. Italy has become a proxy for European weakness though, Vince, in a way that Spain once was. Is that the appropriate way to trade European weakness? Now let's put aside whether that's the correct trade, that Europe is going to be weaker, but is that the appropriate proxy for European weakness?
6: I, I mean, you tend to go into the peripheral markets when you want to trade European weakness because you can't do it with the core which is france and germany so you you basically rotate in and out of whether it be italy spain greece and the italian market is one of the largest so it gives you the opportunity to take a size position yeah. if you wanted to bet it so is it appropriate it's appropriate to do size yeah
0: yeah i, I just wonder as well if the upside potential of having an, an italian short on is a whole lot more than having a long position on say Bunds.
6: Yeah, I mean, the bunds, The BUNS recently went up over half a percent in the 10-year, um, have now backed down to about, I think it's zero spot three, 7%. So it's a nice, big, healthy move in the BUNS. Yeah. Hard to believe there's much more to that, realistically, with potential ECB unraveling of the balance sheet or unwinding of the balance sheet. So better bet, but necessarily the right one. That's, that, That's a good that, that remains to be seen. Dave Wilson,
0: yeah. just to wrap things up with you, give me your insight on that whole debate as to whether buy you buy Europe versus buy US after spending much of this year hearing people tell me it's time to buy Europe.
7: Well, and that has been a theme in terms of investors, not just in Europe, but internationally on a broader sense, because you know, markets have kind of bounced back. They, they, they haven't quite you know risen as consistently as, uh, say, the S&P 500 has. Uh, nonetheless, I mean, because you're seeing renewed economic growth in Europe, uh, there are a whole lot of investors that are looking more uh, favorably on the region because they see just how far the U.S. market has come.
0: David Wilson, Markets Live blogger and stocks editor for Bloomberg, alongside Vince Signorella, global macro strategist for Bloomberg. Gents, great to catch up with you. We'll catch up with you next week, of course. That does it for us here on Bloomberg Radio. The coverage continues. This was The Cable. I'm Jonathan Ferro. I'll catch up with you tomorrow.